Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of All Things Evangelism. I'm here with a good friend and work colleague. His name is Julian Archer. He is the conference projects manager and our episode today is entitled Off the Plow. And I'm super excited to converse with you, Julian, about this subject and to consider various parts of the scripture that talk about God calling ordinary work persons uh, ordinary laborers off the plow, so to speak, and into ministry, into service, into evangelism, into leadership. Yeah, look, so you're someone, Julian, who uh, has not always served the church as an employee. You've been a member for this, of the Seventh-day Adventist Church for a long time. And um, but God's called you from the corporate world, running businesses, to what you're doing now. You want to give the people who are listening just a quick overview of that history? Yeah, look, yeah, I spent most of my working life in business and we had a range of different businesses that we, we believed that they were God's businesses and we used them for God's work. And so the profits out of those businesses or a big portion of the profits went into supporting his work around the world in a whole range of different ways that God is working. Yep. Uh, but the whole time, I, I found that it was, uh, I, I guess you would say, easy to write a check, but with, I didn't have to actually, you know, get, get my hands dirty on the front lines of mission or, or pastoral work or whatever it was. I could just keep, you know, bobbing around in my, in my corporate world and, and loving it and making lots of money, writing checks, feeling good about myself. But in the back of my mind the whole time knowing, Julian, this isn't all that God has called you to do. There's, there's more that he wants you to do than just write checks. And, uh, and so I then had to look at it and say, well, does God want me to stay in business and, and do ministry for him through that business? Does he want me to use that business as a ministry? Or does he want me to take my hand off the, off the plow and actually go full time into uh, some form of ministry uh, where I'm actually doing it you know, in, in my work week? Uh, so yeah, that's, that's, that was the decision that had to be made. That's a short, I'm sure that was a really easy decision for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Look, the things of this world hold on pretty tight. Um, and, uh, let me just say that my conversion process came through the whole thing as well. So, so it wasn't just a matter of, you know, business or ministry or or whatever. It was, uh, I knew when I was in business, and this is different for different people, obviously, but I knew when I was in business that, that I had got to a point where I wasn't saved. Even though I was, you know, supporting all God's work and stuff around the world, I knew that I didn't have a daily saving relationship with God. And so everything looked good on the outside, but it was messed up on the inside. So, yeah, yeah that process, was, as you can imagine, uh, was a, a pretty heavy decision to make. But, but having said that, it was the most painful thing that's ever happened to me, but also the most beautiful thing. And, yeah. uh, and so I praise God that he called me off the plow, but I, but I do need to say that he doesn't call everybody off the plow. Some people, he says, you stay on that plow and you use that plow for my kingdom. Yeah, that's right. You know, you, you said something, it's the most difficult thing that I have ever had to go through, but it was the most beautiful thing. And I was thinking, isn't that Christianity in a nutshell? Mm. Um, like the crucifixion of the son of God is, is one of those things that's very difficult to even really mm. get your head around and even to see the brutality, the horror, but at the same time, it's beautiful. Like it's a, 
Yeah. So it's a terrible and beautiful thing at the same time. And that's the Christian experience, right? Like dying to yourself and that agonizing mm-hmm. process of letting go, but then the resurrecting power of Jesus in the yeah. life to give you a peace and a transcendence that nothing in the world can give you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, so cool. Hey, so since the episode of All Things Evangelism today is entitled Off the Plow, we should probably go to the to the text of scripture that talks about Elisha, the prophet, being called by God off the plow. And um, that's in 1 Kings 19. And I'll read for us just, just real quickly, uh, beginning in verse 19. So um, in 1 Kings 19, if our audience is unfamiliar, we've got a prophet who's done great things for God. His name is Elijah. And he's, he's up on a mountain alone and he's depressed and sad because he thinks he's the only person left in the entire country who's staying faithful to God. And he just had the, the showdown in chapter 18 on Mount Carmel between himself and the prophets of Baal and all that they represent. And God won an, a magnificent victory and a bunch of the evil Baal worshiping prophets are dead. And it's just awesome. But he just kind of goes into this depressed state and he's kind of lost sight of God. And anyway, so, so after God addresses him, gets him, you know, gives him a pep talk of sorts, um, you know, he, the Bible says right after that, he, this is what's happening in verse 19. So all that stuff that I just said has just happened. And now we're in verse 19 and it says, so he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him. And he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. I'll just stop right here. So Elijah is going to be succeeded soon. He knows, he senses, and he's looking for uh, uh, someone to take the mantle to take, you know, his, his place as national prophet. And he goes and he finds this guy, Elisha. And Elisha is on the plow. He's doing manual labor. And uh, yeah, he's chosen. <laughs> he's chosen. He's chosen by God. I think this is kind of, you know, it's kind of interesting, right? Because there were a lot of, there were 7,000 according to God who had not bowed their knee to Baal at this time in Israel. And you'd imagine that some of those 7,000 would have been priests. Like there had to be some faithful priests, right? Who had a little bit more, I don't know, familiarity with the temple, with the temple worships, mm-hmm. maybe more knowledge of the Torah, you know, than Elisha. But Elisha is still the one chosen mm. to be God's prophet in Israel, right? So does that seem a bit strange to you? Like to me, you know, it seems counterintuitive, right? Like here's God. He needs another prophet. He wants to raise another prophet up. And he sends Elijah to Elisha, who's working on the plow, right? That's not something we would do today. Not typically, not in our world, not in our church, not in our system, right? Yeah, no, we'd go, we'd go looking elsewhere. We'd look, we'd look for someone who's qualified, wouldn't we? I mean, we'd say, you're qualified to be a prophet because you've headed up a uh you know, a research center or or you're you're a lecturer in in you know specific parts of theology or whatever it is yep. um but it's a, it's a king david story isn't it you know uh, where's my next king 
oh, it's that little fellow out in the paddock looking after the sheep. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone goes, what? And, and it's the same here with, with Elisha. And, you know, I think, let me bring some of my own experience into it. In, in our corporate life, we were involved with farming, uh, with olive, the olive industry. Uh, and my role, uh, it was family-owned businesses, so my parents were in as well. And, and my role was to do with marketing and all that sort of thing. Now, we had a lot of staff doing a lot of things outside in the field, but for me, I quite enjoyed being inside, working on the computer and doing marketing and sales and all that sort of stuff and management sort of stuff. Now, there were days where I would have liked to have been out in the field because it was pretty stressful in the office, but I can tell you that most of the time, I was quite happy to be sitting in my air-conditioned office while the boys were out there doing their thing. But this guy, Elisha, He's out there. Now, we know from Jewish tradition and some of the writing in the Spirit of Prophecy that he was from a wealthy agricultural family, but he's actually out there yep. plowing in the field. Mm-hmm. Now, that's, that says something to me about that guy. He, he's humble. He, he could have just been sitting back in the tent with Dad and, uh, and working out the next deal or where they're going to buy the next land or whatever, but he's out there plowing with, with all the other guys. And there's a humility. It's the same with David. Um, there's a humility in David as a shepherd of the sheep. Uh, and so when, when God goes looking for a king or goes looking for the next prophet, he wants somebody who can lead with humility. And, and I, I think we see over and over in Scripture, great leaders come from very, very humble training yes. uh, in their lives. Yes. You know, John the Baptist, it's, it's so powerful in Matthew chapter 11 when Jesus is talking to the crowds about John after John's disciples had come and questioned Jesus if he was the one or should they look mm. for another because John's depressed and he's in prison. You know, he's like, man, I'm hearing all this great stuff that's happening. I'm sitting here in prison. What's going on? Like, are you the guy? Like, what's what's happening here? Because he's confused. And Jesus recounts all the great things that are happening and then says, hey, you go tell John, blessed is he who's not offended in me. Like, it'll be all right. Like, you know, just tell him not to be offended. I've got, I've got this under control. And so he says to the crowds, you know, yeah, you know, this John the Baptist, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? You know, like he caused a big stir. What'd you go out to see? You know, a man dressed in fine clothing, you know, men in fine clothing, they're in king's houses. You know, did you go out to see a reed shaking in the wind? You know, obviously John was not the kind of guy who just blows, blows with the wind, right? In Australia, you guys have that saying, you call someone who goes with the wind, you call him a weather vane. That's <laughs> another way of what Jesus was saying. You just go see to see a weather vane, like a man just shaking in the wind. And he says, nah, you went out to see a prophet. And I'm saying to you more than a prophet. And then he gives that statement like, nobody's ever been born among women who was greater than John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. Now, it's funny because like in, in um, Matthew 3, it says that all the, the regions around Judea and Jerusalem came out to see him. And mm-hmm. to listen to him. Mm-hmm. And that would mean that there'd be thousands and thousands and mm-hmm. thousands of people who came to listen to this guy. And then in John 1, it says, this is all going to go back to the point that you just made. And then in John 1, the, the religious leadership send emissaries to John to say, hey, like, in, they're like, they, they basically say to him, hey, um, who are you? And then the first way that he responds is, is he says, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. Mm-hmm. Like, why is he responding that way? It's because he knows that they think that he is. Or maybe he is, right? Like, hey, who are you? And that there's an implication there and he sees it. And that's why he responds and says, well, I'm not the Christ. Well, who are you? Are you the prophet? The one who's predicted to come that Moses talked about? He's like, no, that's not me. That's not me. That's not me. 
So, so here's, here's a point that Ellen White makes. She says that John and the scriptures that I've just referenced seem to indicate this, they indicate the same thing. She says that he became as an individual leader, more powerful and more influential than all of the priests and all of the princes in the entire nation. And if he had raised up a standard against Rome in mm-hmm. revolt, they all would have followed him. Mm, That's wow. what she says. They all would have followed him. So, so you got. So, what you're saying is, God needs people who will lead in humility. Mm. So, John has all this power at his fingertips, and it never disorients him. It never gets mm. him confused. He he keeps saying like, "Oh, you know, I'm just a voice in the wilderness. I'm just here to prepare the way. I just I'm not even worthy to loosen his his sandals. He's the one." And then when his ministry starts to diminish, and Jesus is like getting big, he's like, "Well." he must become more important and I must become less important. Like how hard would that have been? Mm-hmm. Right? Like he didn't, his ego didn't grow with his ministry. Mm. And that's, that's exactly the point that you're making. And John the Baptist is similar to Elijah in that his, or sorry, Elisha in that he did not come from the priestly order, mm. even though he was the son of a priest. So I guess you could kind of say that he did, but then he was trained mm. differently, not in the rabbinical schools. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, but he had that, that characteristic of, of humility, mm. which is a big deal. Everyone thinks it's easy to be humble when you have no reason to be proud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's true. Accomplishing some stuff, things change yeah. real quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting, you know, I used, to, I used to pray, Lord, humble me, humble me. Yep. And, then, and then I started to look at scripture, I started to study it. You know, when you have something in your own life, in your character that you know is faulty, you go, you go to God's word and you want to just dig it out and say, Lord, show me what you want. And so I'm going, oh, all these, you know, I've got to find out how God will humble me and all this. And then I read this verse, humble yourself. <laughs> <laughs> humble yourself in the eyes of the Lord and he will lift you up. Man, what a lesson that was for me. I had to humble myself. I had to stop being proud. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a daily battle, you know, the old, I die daily, ego dies daily. Yes. Hey, so before we were talking, uh, before we started recording here, we, um, we're talking a bit about some reading that you had done on Eli's shot. And you said a few powerful things like in regards to his call to ministry. Um, is there anything you wanted to, would you share a little bit about some of the things you were saying, but I don't want to you know spill the beans before you say anything. Elisha. You know, and Elijah came along and threw that mantle on him, and and Elisha knew that that was a call, uh, and he had to make a choice right there and then, and he had an opportunity to say no, and he had an opportunity to, uh, I guess, go back to the plow. But you know what he did? You know what? What did he do with that plow? I mean, this this like you you turn up on an island and you go and you burn your ship. Right. Uh, so that you can't leave, you know, he, he, he gets that plow, he, he kills those two oxen and he gets the plow and makes a fire out of it and cooks up the meat and gives it to the other guys around him, his colleagues, uh, gives them a feed. He, he's got nothing to go back to. He's, yeah. he's, he's called from the plow and he's been so uh, 100% this is it that he's got no option to go back. Uh, and that, that's powerful. That's that's powerful. That's heavy. Yeah, that's really powerful. And yeah, that's you better be sure. Absolutely, you better be sure. It's like what Jesus says, right? Like you better count the cost. 
Because exactly. you're in this plow here, brother. You you sure about this? You know, I learned something yeah, recently. Yeah. This is not this is not off topic, but it's it's not as on topic as as I would like. But it's a powerful thought. You know, all the beautiful parables in Luke 15 about like the uh, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the parable of the prodigal son. That's all. That's all in Luke 15. And these are classic Christian parables. We all look to them to learn more about the character of God and how loving and wonderful and awesome he is and how interested he is in, in individuals and each one of us. Right. And, Mm. but we, we oftentimes fail to um, see where those parables are in the, in the kind of, in the history of the gospel, like, or in the just Mm. kind of chronology of the gospel. Um, in Luke 14, Jesus is preaching to large crowds, the Bible says. And some of the most straightforward, in-your-face, confrontational preaching that Jesus ever does is in Luke 14. Mm. It's like the crazy stuff. Like, if a man does not forsake his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You know, in verse 33, yeah. like, if you don't hate your own life, you can't be my disciple. And yeah. he gives the story of, like, the tower. You know, if you're building a tower, you better have enough to finish it. You better count yeah. the cost, you know. If you're going to go to war, you better have enough to like mm-hmm. win the war. Cause you don't want to get into a war and not have enough to win. Cause you're going to be worse off than when you started yeah. before you got into the war. So anyways, and he's, and he's like really being straightforward and confrontational and lit, like drawing a very fine line. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then it, and then it basically says that in the, in the flow of the text that it was, it was then at that time that the poor in spirit found their way to him. And then he taught them those amazing parables of God's great and magnificent love for even mm. the individual. So he's kind of like, in a way, he was starting with like this very like straightforward, hey, you, you better know what you're getting into if you want to follow me. This is serious business. Yeah, and then yeah, as soon as yeah. people were like, ah, uh, the only ones who were like, ah, uh, I'm in were these like humble figures who were poor in spirit. And then when they came to him, he's like, okay, hey guys, check this out, you know. God's like a father who, even if you stabbed him in the back, took all of his money and wasted his stuff, if you came back, he'd still run after you, you know, like God is really great, you know, but he doesn't say that first. He says that after to the Mm. people who are like, okay, I'll count the cost. I'll give up everything, you know? So yeah, but it's like Elisha, you know, he's just like, okay, we're in the plow. I'm out. I'm done. He was very sure. He was very, very sure. That's right. It's yeah. a bit like with the disciples, you know, the fishermen, they, they left their nets and followed. Well, you imagine if they'd cut up their nets and sunk their boats. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it sounds radical. It sounds really crazy. Uh, but for some people, that's what God calls them to. And, and yet, again, I, I have to be clear that that's not for everybody. I mean, of course. We, look at, we look at Jesus. Jesus was a carpenter. He left carpentry to go into ministry. Well, we got the fisherman. Peter leaves fishing to go into fishing for men. You know, it goes into ministry. Um, but then we've got Paul, who's a tent maker, and he doesn't leave his trade. Sure, he walk he walks away from it, but he takes it with him because a lot of it's in his head and, and all the rest. And he uses it to support ministry. Yes. And then uh, Lydia, the seller of purple, she kept in her in her business. Yeah. And she used the finances, the, the money from that, to support ministry. Yeah. Uh, so there, so you, you either leave and do ministry or you stay in it and use it as a tent maker sort of thing 
Yeah. Well, then you've got Dorcas, who was, she used her business as ministry. Right. So, so her business is making clothes. Yeah. And so she uses that as ministry. Yeah. Uh, and so there's different levels and God calls different people to, to different things. Yeah. Uh, but if he calls the rich young ruler and says, take your hand off the plow and we say no, then we're in trouble. Or if he says, hey, you've got a really good business there, you've got a really nice plow, you keep using that plow for me and we say no, then we're in trouble. So all, all it really comes down to is am I responding to the Holy Spirit's conviction on my heart to do with this plow in my hands? Yes. Am I doing with this plow what God really wants me to do with it? Yep, that's awesome. So check this out. I got this uh, Ellen White statement from the book Gospel Workers. She says, how many useful and honored workers in God's cause have received a training amid the humble duties of the most lowly positions in life? Mm. Moses was the prospective ruler of Egypt, but God could not take him from the king's court to do the work appointed him. Only when he had been 40 years a faithful shepherd was he sent to, the, to be the deliverer of his people. Gideon was taken from the threshing floor to be the instrument in the hands of God for delivering the armies of Israel. Elisha was called to leave the plow and do the bidding of God. Amos was a husbandman, a tiller of the soil, and God gave him a message to proclaim. Mm. It's cool. So I think, I think that you could, you could extrapolate from all of these biblical examples that God can equip and empower people while they're doing normal, ordinary work in yeah. the world. And, and I really believe that it, if we as a church don't truly learn that, God's going to find someone else. <laughs> like he's going to, because, because I don't know how to say this. The Holy Spirit is equally accessible to us all. And we have learned people who've written lots of books that we can read. We've got the Bible in front of us and God can teach us and grow us. We've got the ability to apply what we learn in scripture and go on a journey with Jesus, whatever our career, whatever our trade, whatever our profession. And so, like you said, if God calls you off the plow, if he causes you to, calls you to use your business for ministry, you know, if he causes you to, if he calls you to use your ministry to support ministry, whatever, that's fine. But just understand and believe that as an average ordinary church member, God can train you and equip you and make you successful, make you a competent minister of the gospel. And if we don't believe that, then I really would contend that we are living in the Middle Ages in our mind. Like mm -hmm. we just have a middle-aged mindset of the world, um, you know, an old covenant priestly mindset that says there's a select class of people, they're the only ones, and the rest of us are just here to kind of nod our heads in bovine acceptance of everything that they say. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? So this is the new covenant. This is where we all have the law of God written in our hearts. We all have access to the spirit. And God can use all of us in, in really important ways. And um, yeah, I just don't, I, I think that's so important. I think it's central to New, New, New Testament Christianity. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it, I've got a thought rolling around my head and I'm not sure how it's going to come out. But, <laughs> okay. but yeah, that's what happens but, to me like 50 times a day. Yeah. <laughs> but, here, but here it is. Humility is so important to leadership and, and to ministry and to witnessing that you can know everything uh, and, and not be able to be used by God yes. because you're not humble. 
But even if you only know a little bit, but you're humble, God can use that mightily. And there was there was a, a quote I was reading in um, manuscript releases. I, I don't know like where it is in, in the other books and things, but she was talking about ministers and that ministers need to be, and this is her wording, they need to be willing to be little men handling great subjects. Isn't that powerful? We need to be willing to be little men handling great subjects. And I know my personal tendency is that if I have a really good grip on a subject because I've studied it and, you know, I might have a degree in it or whatever, then it takes my, it removes my humility about that, that subject um, because I, I know it all uh, about that thing. And, and I, I think that the common denominator that we see with Elisha, with David, you know, with the disciples, whoever it is, the, the, these great men and women of God, is that they they recognize the vast gap between them and God and they they come humbly before God and God just says man I can use you I, I can use a shepherd I, you know I I can use a guy plowing in the field I I can use a fisherman uneducated fisherman um, because they they're humble and because they're humble I can use them Come like a little child. Yes. Listen to this quote. This is from Ellen White, Review and Herald, June 27, 1912. Unexpected talent will be developed in those in common walks of life. If men and women can only have the message of truth brought to them, many will hear and receive it. Those of every walk of life, high and low, rich and poor, will accept the truth for this time. Some who are regarded as uneducated will be called to the service of the master, even as the humble, unlearned fishermen were called by the Savior. Men will be called from the plow, as was Elisha, and will be moved to take up the work that God has appointed them. They will begin to labor in simplicity and quietness, as you're saying, in humility, reading and explaining the scriptures to others. Their simple efforts will be successful. Mm. That's amazing. So yeah. the, the average church member who's just on the plow doing a normal trade needs to realize and understand the Holy Spirit's here. I, I need to learn from my pastors. I need to learn from my elders. I need to implement what Jesus is saying. I need to be humble enough to, to practice, you know, what he teaches me and reach, reach out, witness and share. And I can become a capable and competent minister. And she even goes so far as to say, like, they'll be called, they'll be considered uneducated and be called to ministry. And she means like full-time ministry. And mm -hmm. um, I got this quote. I won't read it because it's just too long. And she talks about a guy named Schur, who in her day was like at a GC session. And she stands up to speak at the GC session. So the prophet stands up to address the church. And she says, hey, I think there's someone in this audience, Shire by name. He's planted like all these churches. And he basically, she's basically like in the most polite way saying, he's outperformed all of you guys. And then she says, where did he get his education? I'll tell you where he got his education. He got his education from the same place John the Baptist got his education. And she just kind of goes on to it, you know, like, through the wilderness, through the voice of God here and there. And, you know, and basically she says through the, the means available to all of us. Mm -hmm. And then she says, look, I'm not saying you shouldn't get an education and I'm not saying you should. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that God does what God does and we should all just humble ourselves and submit to it and mm -hmm. acknowledge it. And it's just such a cool balanced statement. Mm -hmm. The way she articulates, you know, you could articulate the same thing just by studying the Bible really. Um, but Hey, okay. So we're coming to the end here of our short time. What would you say, Adrian? I'm oh, sorry, Julian. I always call you Adrian for some reason. 
Julian, what do you say to the church membership who listen to this podcast? They're primarily, you know, personal ministries types, Sabbath school leadership types. They're, they're usually plugged in, fairly plugged in people, but we have all kinds of people listening. In regards to coming off the plow and what that implies, what's a, what's a word of exhortation from you to them? What should they think and how should they feel about what the Bible says about them and their capacity to witness? Mm. Yeah. Look, I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, wherever we are, we're called to advance God's work. If if our hand is still on the plow, or if He's called us off the plow, uh, we, we're we're there to do God's work, and ultimately, it just comes down to: Have I given my whole life to God? You know, have have I given my plow to God? Even if my hands are still on it, have I given it to God? Am I letting Him run this career, this life of mine? Am I am I completely sold out? Have I said, God, I'm I'm all in, like Elisha was? Now, you know, Elisha is an interesting situation in that he did actually burn his plow and he walked away, and it was a whole new thing for him. But regardless of where people are at, they've just got to be all in for God, all in in their business, all in in pastoral ministry, all in as a nurse, whatever it is, you know, ASI, um, you know, the Adventist, um, um, let's call it Adventist Business and Professionals Group in the US. It's about Christ in the marketplace. That's their focus, Christ in the marketplace. How do we bring Christ into the marketplace wherever we are, whatever, whatever we're doing? And, look, I think, yeah, I, I think the, the trick or, or, or the secret to this is the Holy Spirit, uh, having the, the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, because, you know, Elisha, Elisha revealed his character when Elijah said to him, what do you want from me? What, what blessing do you want from God? You know, what, what do you want us to give you? And he asked, he said, just give me a double portion of your spirit. Uh, you, you can you can see from that answer that Elisha was already being so led by the Holy Spirit just in his day-to-day life. The way he plowed, the way he interacted with the people around him, the Holy Spirit was already working in his life. And when he when he said, Well, what do you what do you want for the ministry from here forward? Just give me a double portion of your spirit. And you know, that's 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 my prayer. That I think that is all of our prayers. And we we know that without that Holy Spirit which is our greatest need, we can't do anything. We, we are nothing. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to All Things Evangelism, for uh, just joining us in this conversation. Um, may God encourage, well, inspire all of us to have that spirit of Elisha. And whether or not he calls mm. us off the plow, may we do all that we do to the glory of God and realize that the contribution we have to make is a real contribution and a necessary contribution and one that can affect the salvation of others. Um, let's not be limited by our position or our standing in the church. Let's, you know, let's remember those great figures like Elisha, Amos, Moses, who God you know, brought through common trades to do amazing work for him. And mm-hmm. even New Testament deacons like Stephen, um, you know, who was, who was awesome, so awesome that God used him to witness to the Sanhedrin in Acts 8, and he got stoned for the faith, but he shined like an angel. He was just a deacon. 
Mm. And Philip, who converts to Ethiopian, you know, he's just a deacon. And mm. so just relatively average church guys doing unbelievable work for God because they didn't allow themselves to be limited by the position or their mm. station in life or in the world. And so we're all children of God and we all have access to his spirit. And every one of us that wants to be used for his glory will be used for his glory. And there will be souls who live forever because of us if we believe that. But if not, people will be lost. God bless you guys. And uh, remember, the Great Commission is our commission. Take good care. We'll see you soon.